You Can Mentor is a podcast about the power of building relationships with kids from hard places in the name of Jesus. Every episode will help you overcome common mentoring obstacles and give you the confidence you need to invest in the lives of others. You Can Mentor. Welcome back to the You Can Mentor podcast. We are so glad you're with us. My name is Steven, and Zachary Garza is laughing already. That's right, baby. Before I've gotten to the joke. I'm here. Uh, we have Caroline Cash in the room as well. Hey, Cash. And our special guest today Drum roll, is... please. Boo, boo, boo. Remember the one time I did that? Because <laughs> my brain couldn't think of what a drum sounded like. Our special guest is Will Dowell. Yeah! Thank you. Oh, Woo! you hear Will the scream. Will 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 Man, this is gotta come back more often <laughs> yes Amen. to our live audience thank you so much yeah, yeah. thanks for jumping on the podcast man we're glad you're here honored and, to be here uh, zach who is this guy will dow is his name and he <laughs> is the co-founder executive director of behind every door in dallas they're doing some amazing things really all over the city of dallas just really working to create a community create an environment where people are truly known I'm going to stop talking now, and I'm going to let Will tell us what he does, because why not just go straight to the source? Yeah, that sounds right. great. So, Will, what is behind every door? Yeah, I mean, Zach, I love what you just said. I uh, want to create spaces where people can be fully known and fully loved. Um, but yeah, for the last 10 years, we've been working in communities where uh, there's a significant number of barriers standing between uh, people and possibility. Yep. So those barriers could be wow. crime, could be lack of you know good education standards lack of food joblessness i mean you go down the list uh, mm -hmm. when you add it all up the word that we typically use is poverty um but they but what it is is just an interconnected web of of barriers that people face and mm -hmm. so um we operate community centers and neighborhoods where those barriers are more prevalent and um we we want those community centers to really serve as a space where people can get um safety uh, access to resources that help people thrive and then get into some kind uh, of, a, of an intimate relationship with Jesus. Amen. And, um, awesome. So, uh, and then we do three things really well. So we want to build deep, long-term relationships with people. We want to operate a kind of year-round comprehensive program for kids and their families. Uh, looks like an after-school program typically. And then uh, we want to leverage our relationships in the community and the space that we're operating uh, and our network in the larger city to bring in missing resources. Wow. I love that. So, Will, really, I mean, we're in the mentoring sphere, mentoring kids from hard places. And one of the conversations we have consistently uh, in the office, which is ultimately we just had it one time, but <laughs> what, is, what is your favorite movie that exemplifies what you love about mentoring? Ooh. Is there a, a movie that comes to mind? And maybe you need to think about it, but I, we can even ask ask the room. I don't remember this conversation. Well, the two of us have it at least once a week because <laughs> Stephen wants to do a segment on the podcast where we dissect mentoring movies. I think it would be very fascinating, and, and our listeners would enjoy it. I mean, there's a lot of movies out there that talk about mentoring, that talk about investing into the lives of you know, people who have been given a hard hand, uh, you know, like Goodwill Hunting, you've got Finding Forrester, you've got... Wait, wait, don't take any of Will's. Oh, oh, go ahead. This is great. You're giving me ideas. Yeah. So Goodwill Hunting, <laughs> uh, Finding Forrester, you've got 
Cinderella Man, Star Wars. You've got Star Wars. You've got The Road to Perdition. You've got like there are. Is that the so, Tom Hanks movie? Yeah, man. Okay. It's all all about fathers. Just like the father wound is oh. like woven all throughout. Legends of the Fall. Legends. Oh man, there's so many. That's the, my one. Does Shawshank Redemption end up in there too? Shawshank's for sure because Andy Dufresne falls underneath Red, and Red shows him how to of succeed. Course. Yeah. Of course, Zach will know. Such a good movie. Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Oh yeah. I love movies. Well, it's like my favorite. I know this is awesome. Yeah. I I love movies. I I'm I'm not sure that I'm as uh, well versed. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Man. I just lose it. I was watching the movie uh, Big Fish. So he keeps talking about it. this movie. I've never man, seen it. Big Old Fish school. is such a good movie when it comes to the father son because just watch it. Just so let's just like every week, one day in the afternoon, let's we just, just watch, watch a movie. movie with man, stuff. I ball at the end of Big Fish. <laughs> I like I like how you saw that in there. Because get like else? get it on the calendar. <laughs> yeah. Because with Big Fish, there is a, this man's father. Sorry. I don't know. <laughs> We are about this movie. We're gonna have to. We are not a movie. Zach, we'll put it in the show notes. Okay, you don't have to describe the plot to us. No, no, no. no. The father fathers in one way. (laughs) All right, and the father's doing the best job that he possibly can. The son wants to be fathered in a totally different way, but his father doesn't have the tools to invest into him in that way. So you're talking about Finding Nemo. Finding that's what I. That's literally (laughs) what what I was thinking. That's a very good point. I know. Big Fish is just. Finding Nemo. Is it ironic that they're saying. both about a fish? That they're both about fishies? I don't know. Maybe it is. Oh, my gosh. Fishies. Lord. Wow. What okay, Will. So we're going to put you on the spot. Sorry, Will. What movie comes to mind when you think about mentoring? All right. So as you ask that question, I'm sitting here going, Father, what movie? And I'll, the first movie that came to my mind, and I'm going to explain myself, is Moana. Ah. Moana. I am Moana. So at the end of the movie... And it's not it's not necessarily father son, but it's the spirit of a father and mm-hmm. the spirit of son, if you will. Absolutely. Uh, but at the end of the movie, I I come to tears almost every time uh, because when Moana realizes that the that the fire monster is yeah. is actually the again we're not talking scripture here. Sure, it's, it's the concepts we're getting at. <laughs> we yeah. totally get it. The fire monster is Tefiti or the or what I don't even know the names, but she's the she's the god of creation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Moana's like, wait. Your identity's been stolen, and I'm going to give it back to you. And when I do, everything will be made right. And yeah. I can't help every time but going, that's the picture of, of Jesus, um, rep, you know, being a representative, um, a part of the Father, saying, here is your real identity, and then everything is restored. Yeah. And so I, wow. it, it's a random connection, but it's the first movie that came to mind for that reason. It's so great. Yeah, Moana. Did not see that coming, list. but that is so good. Is Moana yeah. a mentoring movie? For sure. I, it is now. Dude, because everything can be a mentor movie because that's right. that's right. everything's about relationships. Everything's about relationships. You're about to get challenged. I don't know. Moulin Rouge. <laughs> this face. Not, probably not Crawls a good mentoring. Steven, you're maybe, not maybe as a the negative podcast, example. Bro. Maybe as a negative example, yeah. Well, all I'm saying is just like relationships change lives. Most important thing in the entire world. It's all about relationships. And the Lord loves to use relationships to tell a story. That's fair. And so often that story can point us back to something that he's trying to teach us. Come on, Zach. It's good. It's very good. Well, I I love having ministry leaders in the room to just kind of ask questions and hear more about the story behind your organization and the work that you're doing. So could you even just paint a picture of the behind every door story for us? Yeah. I mean, as Zach said, uh, we believe there's a story behind every door. 
And so we want to get to know every single story. So it's really important for us to knock on doors. So in the apartment communities where we work, uh, we're quite literally knocking on doors there. Yeah. Um, it's a larger neighborhood. We're knocking on doors there. And um, I mean, when we got started, uh, there was a golf cart, bottles of water, and all of the fried food from the corner store. That's and awesome. we drove around <laughs> and, uh, and asked people, hey, will you tell me your story? And, you know, first first few people was awkward because if somebody came in to my front yard and I was sitting out there and said, hey, you tell me your story, I'd wonder why they wanted to know my story. Yeah. Um, so the first few people were really gracious and shared. And uh, and then I think just because we, we are like this is the way God created his people. It's like we actually enjoy telling our stories. And mm-hmm. so as we began to listen and people began to tell, more people began to tell. And what that led to uh, was was a was a larger story of that community, and then we uh, wanted to work from that place to figure out okay how do we respond to this? I mean, if if I come in and say hey this community needs a computer lab because then people can access jobs and write resumes, and then I listen to the community, and they say and this is this is actually what happened they say yeah we just don't have anything for our kids to do basketball court is mm-hmm. overgrown with weeds there's no mm-hmm. goals we just really wish our kids had something to do. And we spend resources and time to put in computer lab. We've not respected the community, right. wow. not honored it, and we haven't done not absolutely anything to help. And so, uh, not to mention the community didn't ask for it. So now you have this resource, and now we're going to have this um, confrontational relationship where I'm saying, why don't you want this? It's a good thing. And the community saying, wow. I didn't ask for that. That's why I don't want it. Hmm. But we don't have that conversation. We just say, there's something wrong with you to one another mm-hmm. uh and so for us like this behind every door there's a story matters and uh mm-hmm. we we that's how we operate so um learning stories is key for us and we do it over and over and over and over again and um it's not just true in, uh with residents uh, and communities where we're working but it's true with donors it's true with partners if we really want to move forward together we've got to we've got to seek to understand one another yeah can you translate that to a mentor relationship of and you, you might think that the thing that you're wanting to offer is what is needed most, but they have completely different, a, a completely different take on what they would like or desire from your investment. So could you, could you unpack what that looks like in a mentor relationship? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's really easy to define anyone that we connect with by circumstances or actions, or I think what we often do with one another is by our worst moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, Maybe even we should add worse circumstances, right? I think in those moments, we one of our values is we believe the best. We've got to believe the best about anyone that we're coming in contact with. And so from, as a mentor, when I think about people who have mentored me, they chose to believe the best about me. In my worst moments, in my best moments, in my moments of questioning, my moments of doubting. And so I've got to be willing to do that for others. And... Mm-hmm. And I think as we do believe the best, we gain a deeper understanding of the of the person that I'm walking alongside. What you know, in, in the case of, of of mentoring, as you guys are talking about with a child, and I begin to understand that child's circumstances. What you know, what's going on at school? What's going on at home? Mm-hmm. What's going on in that child's mind because of the home and because of school, or or because of friends or because of whatever? And through um, an understanding. Uh, then for me, believing the best extends to believing who God says uh, we are as individuals and who God says he is. 
so he says that we're beloved uh, children, loved like we are, not like we're supposed to be. Uh, and who he says he is is that he's a good father that we can mm-hmm. trust. And so if I if I take that with me into mentoring, then I can look at whoever I'm in front of and say, okay, God sees this person as a beloved child who's capable of incredible things. God ultimately wants them to prosper. And from that place, in those worst moments, those bad moments, those hard moments, those good moments, those beautiful moments, whatever they may be, to be able to see it rightly, that there's a good father who ultimately cares about this beloved child. And I, for, for whatever reason, have the honor of being able to be part of this story for a moment. I mean, I could keep going, but that's, yeah. that's how I see it. Awesome. Yeah. Well, what it sounds like is that, in a way, you have to get out of the way and realize that there's a bigger story at play. That, I mean, when, when you're saying there is a father who cares and this is a child who is loved, that the, the mentor might insert himself in between and say, well, this is what it should look like or this is where it should, should be going. But ultimately, if a mentor captures that greater vision, ultimately that will lead them to a place where they're not just inserting their own will and yeah, directing the relationship in another way because they feel like that's their responsibility as a mentor. Yeah. Does that kind of connect with what you're saying? For sure. Yeah, I think I think it's it's both uh, taking on a role that God's not asking us to play, um, mm. and I think it's um, believing things. Which, well, I could say it like this: it's believing things about myself that God's not saying, mm. um, or it's believing things about someone else that He's not saying. Let me go through two examples, please. Um, because I think the role when I play the wrong role, there's two things going on. One. I'm not being who God made me to be. And two, I'm not doing what God asked me to do. Mm-hmm. And, and those, are, those are connected, right? It's yeah. identity and action. So like, just as an example from scripture, think about Gideon. So this is an issue of identity. He is, he's hiding, threshing wheat in a wine press because he's afraid that, that the, the occupants of the land are going to come take it from him. Mm-hmm. And the angel of the Lord shows up and says, get up, mighty warrior he's not mighty he's a coward (laughs) like that's the truth of the moment is he's hiding yeah uh and yet god chooses to say this is what i know to be true about you Hmm. and gideon chooses in that moment to join his faith to what happens and obviously there were there were the fleece on the ground and he questions and all of that but ultimately he chooses to believe and, and place his faith there and so in that moment, as he steps into identity, uh, it allows him to, to then step forward and play the right you know, role in, in the lives of others. Yeah. Uh, so I think identity is essential. Uh, and then I think when, when that is straightened out, right, which that happens in an intimate place with Jesus. Like intimacy with Jesus is the point. That's the, we've got to stay there. We've got to come back there. We have to go from there. We have to, um, and from that place then with others, uh, you know, to answer the the other part of the question that you're asking is how do we how do I make sure that I'm playing the the, the right role yeah. uh, as a mentor? You know, I think it's it's from that place of knowing that you know I am who God made me to be. I am a beloved child, and as I'm listening to His voice, being able to step in and be who God's asking me to be for whoever's in front of me in that moment. And so, if it's the case of of, of mentoring a child, being able to listen to that child, being able to listen to that child's family, being able to listen to, to God, the father, 
and then respond in, in the ways that I think that are most aligned with his heart. And so I think there are going to be moments where I get to get to play that role where you get to be representative of a good father, a, mm-hmm. a good earthly father. Uh, much like there were, you know, men who weren't my dad in my life who played that role at times. And then there's going to be moments where I'm just a good friend. And then there's going to be moments where I'm just an encourager. And then there's going to be moments where I'm a teacher. And then there's going to be moments where I'm a student. And the truth of it is, if I, if I, if I don't believe that I'm going to be the student at some point, I don't think I can be a mentor. Mm. Wow. Uh, because, because ultimately, whoever I'm walking with is the expert of whatever they have going on in their life. Yeah. Right? That's really good. I'm not in their head or their heart. So I've got to be a student uh, also. I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I hope I'm answering your question. It's great, Will. Yeah. I just wanted to ask you, like, what are some, I think we, we say believing the best, and it's we all kind of assume what that means, but what are some practical ways to actually believe the best? Like, how do you kind of go about that in relationships with someone you're mentoring or someone you're seeking to understand, you know, their situation, like all of those things, how are, how do you actually practically go about believing the best? Great. That's a great question. One, I mean, one thing that I do is I want to rehearse what God has already said to be true, mm-hmm. just about his people. Yeah. And so, um, you know, that we're beloved, that we were created to rule, uh, like go Genesis one or two, whenever he says that, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, rule over the earth, subdue it, be fruitful, multiply. Like that was his intent from the beginning um, I, I, that, that we are, we're worth dying for that, that we're deeply loved. I mean, all of these things, those are true. And if they're mm-hmm. true for me, then they're true for each of you. And they're true for people driving by out right outside right now. Yeah. So I think for me, I've got to rehearse that, um, pretty regularly. Cause it's, if I'm honest, it's easy to forget, you know, like yeah. you get, you get into it with somebody and like, all I can see is what you've done wrong. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and, and we get into this, this trick of, of believing the worst. And, and so what, so what I mean by that is this, like if Zach and I get into it, uh, there's a moment there where it doesn't matter what he says. Mm. I'm just going to see it mm-hmm. through the angle because of, of the worst, mm-hmm. um, because it, it affirms my narrative. I've been hurt. I've been wronged. You did this to me. Um, and so I think, I think for me, believing the best is confronting that reality too. Mm. Of, um, and the way I confront it is by rehearsing the truth of what God has already said to be true. Mm-hmm. I think another practical way is seeking to understand. So uh, the, well, here's another movie reference, Zach. Uh, I'm going, I'm all over Disney today. Uh, <laughs> Amen. The life of kids, man. I got three kids. So watching Disney 24 seven. It's gotta be cars. So I'm just kidding. It could, it could be cars. No. So it, it's Aladdin. Mm. Uh, it, so if you remember Aladdin at the beginning of the movie, he steals a piece of bread and he's being, you know, chased. And, you know, I forget what, I actually don't remember exactly what was going to happen. I haven't seen Aladdin in quite some time, but it, it, he was going to be severely punished for stealing the bread. Mm-hmm. But his circumstances were such that he doesn't, he doesn't have any food. He's not maliciously trying to harm somebody by taking yeah. the bread. He's trying to eat. Mm. I'm not advocating stealing. Let's be clear about that. <laughs> uh, and, once you understand the circumstances, yes. your response will adjust, mm. right? right? With him, he's just trying to eat. Like, he doesn't need to be chased and jailed because he stole the piece of bread. He's hungry. He needs to eat. Mm-hmm. There's, another, there's another response in that situation mm. uh, that actually would bring about, a, you know, the best and right outcome for him uh, mm. and for that community at large. And so I think for me, believing the best, practically speaking, 
is seeking to understand the circumstances, seeking to understand the mind, the heart, and all of the contributing factors. Because there have been numerous occasions for me where you, you have a kid that will come in. I'm, I'm talking about my own kids at this point too. And they have a hard moment. And they, mm-hmm. you know, my, my son yells at his sister. Uh, or a kid comes into our after-school program and, and yells at, a, at another student. The first thing you want to do is be like, hey, stop. What's, yeah. what's going on here? But seeking to understand and say, hey, can we talk for a little bit? What's going on today? Is something happening at school or something happened at home? Did I say something? And then as you begin to unpack that, going, okay, there is something much bigger going on here mm-hmm. that is the root cause. And so my response needs to be adjusted accordingly. Mm, so, yeah, I think those are the two that I would, that I would say are practical ways to believe the best. It's awesome. But it's a, it's a, it's a constant choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a, I've got it and I move on. It's a, it's a, it's a rehearsing. It's a choice. I love that word. Yeah. Rehearse. For those of you guys who don't know just what their program's doing. I mean, they have 25, 26, 27 people on staff. They're serving hundreds of people every day. They are truly making a tremendous impact in the name of Jesus in the city of Dallas. Mm-hmm. And one of your three core values, the things that you talk about probably at every meeting is believing the best. Tell me how that came to be so important to you. That's a great question, Zach. Um, that in some ways, like there's not enough time because it, because it's totally tied to my own story. Mm. So if I fast forward some, so I'll just say this, like just the grace that I experienced because people and ultimately Jesus believe the best about me. That's, I mean, that that's, there's the fast version of my testimony. Mm-hmm. If we went into it, you know, here's a story that, that happened. Uh, it'll highlight some of my story and some of how it, it got tied into the organization. But we, we had been in a community for about a year down in Southeast Oak cliff and in this particular community, we had an, uh, an addiction recovery group that the men in Nehemiah, a, a man mm-hmm. who, who worked with them, who lived in the community, was leading. And so it's an example where we have space, we have relationships. Hey, y'all are the expert. Y'all do your thing. We'll just open the space, provide food. And so this guy would lead it. And I would go help open up and, and attend. I, my, my dad's an addict, so a recovering addict. But I would, um, I would go because it was just helpful to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at that point, my dad's addiction was was at its peak and uh, just he had, he had lost everything that that um that he cared about but was just too sick to care for and in it, it and I'm sitting in this meeting and there's a man named Cicero Jones he was it was a recovering crack ad, crack addict who had lost his whole family and lost everything and Cicero I was sitting there and I was like Cicero is my dad without the history same circumstances, lost everything, same addiction. Yeah. And yet I'm not angry at him. Hmm. And the only thing that was the difference was that I didn't have history. And Cicero taught me how to forgive. And it was it was through seeking to understand Cicero to to show him what I had been shown, the same grace, the same love, to be loved like I am, not like I'm supposed to be, that I began to realize that. Cicero's a wonderful man. Yeah. He's sick. Uh, we're all sick in some way. Um, and, and his sickness has, has led to where he, the circumstances he's sitting in at that moment. Um, but he taught me how to believe the best. Um, and, and for me, it, it, it just became something that 
kind of what I said earlier, just what I have received, uh, I've got to pass on. So Jesus said it differently, you know, freely I've given and, and now freely give. And, um, and so it, it, it's, it's inextricably tied to who we are as an organization, because I think it's inextricably tied to who we are as children of God. Yeah. He mm-hmm. believes the That's best really about good. us and, and we uh, have an opportunity by his grace and the power of the Holy Spirit and his voice to believe the best about others. It's just essential. It's so hard to believe the best about people, especially when you've been, especially when you have history with them, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. And I mean, like, whenever I hear you say that, like, you just want to hear that you just want to see people how the Lord sees them. Like, man, would that be all of our prayers every single day? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With every single person that we come in, that we come into contact with, that's right. It's just Lord Jesus, help me see this person how you see them. Mm-hmm. Help me seek first to understand, and help me take what you have given me, Lord, grace and forgiveness, and all of that good stuff that the Lord freely offers. And God, help allow me to give that to other people as well. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, and man, that. It sounds so simple, but man, it can change, can change your perspective on everything that you deal with on a daily basis. Yeah. And it can change how you deal with people, which mm-hmm. is a big deal. Yeah. You know, I, even as you're talking, Zach, and I said this, but I, I just, I, I want to highlight it. You cannot believe the best about others if you don't believe the best about yourself. Yeah. You, Cause you can't give it. And I, which hey, that's another part of my journey is just be, accepting who God says that I am. And, um, if, I mean, if I, if I, if ultimately I think, you know, that I am just not, I'm, I'm just like a, a piece of trash who, who isn't going to amount to anything. I'm going to project that on other people. Right. And some we got to do some soul searching. And, um, and I've tried to do that continually just of rehearsing who God says I am. Um, because it allows me to say the same about somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the nuances of it, of seeking to understand, et cetera. But yeah, we've, we've, we have got to believe who God says we are, which is beloved children. Yeah. That's who we are. I mean, kind of comes back to, you can't give away what you yourself don't have. Right. It's true. As we get further on into learning how to best mentor kids, specifically kids from hard places, man, it, what once started as I'm going to figure out a way to best mentor kids has kind of gone to, I got to figure out a way to understand how the Lord sees me and to really get right with the Lord and, and, and being able to receive from him so that I can pass it on to whoever I come into contact with specifically these kids who I mentor. And so much of mentoring begins with you. It begins with your personal walk with Jesus Christ. It begins with you being proactive and dealing with your hurts and with your pains and with the things that the Holy Spirit says, hey, hey, Zach, you, you might want to check how you responded to that comment, right? And so when I first started mentoring, it was all about, I'm going to fix this kid. Mm-hmm. And now it's all about, man, Lord, I just, need, I just need to get with you and I need to open myself up with humility to, to the Holy Spirit and what he's trying to teach me. And I'm going to humbly walk alongside this kid and just be the conduit to whatever the Lord wants to do in his life. Mm-hmm. 
there's a huge difference there. Yeah. So what would you say to a, a mentor who hesitates on jumping in because they don't feel like they have what it takes? And so I, I feel like as we talk about the preparation, I think we also need to talk about the hesitations. Yeah. So right when you said that, the first thing that came to my mind, you know, what would I say to somebody who's, who's hesitant, doesn't, who's like, I don't think I get this. I'd say you're ready. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason is, is because of your hesitation, right? Because it, you said it earlier, it's humility. Like mm-hmm. in that moment of like, oh gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. What's going on. I've never been in this environment. I don't understand. I'm, I'm out, I'm outside my, my, um, my normal circumstances. Great, great. Perfect. You're ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> because, because you, you have a heart postured to learn, mm-hmm. um, and which is, which is humility. And um, so, so then the next thing I would say is, so then take the step of faith. Uh, you're not alone. Um, and, uh, and, and there's people to walk with. And, and so just take the step of faith and, and begin to ask those questions of, of others who have gone before you and of others who are living uh, in, in a place where you feel displaced. Um, they're the expert. So let them be the expert. Let yeah. the person be the expert That's uh, good. and ask the questions and don't be afraid to, um, to stumble. Don't be afraid to fall. Um, don't be afraid to, to offend. Um, so long as you keep that humble posture of a heart willing to learn, you'll in the moment when you offend, um, you'll be able to say, Oh, I'm so sorry. I did. I did not. Wow. I didn't see that. I missed it. Uh, versus if you don't have a heart to learn, you're going to say, well, that that's no, I didn't say that. I, that's not what I meant. Uh, mm-hmm. Don't put words in my mouth. Mm-hmm. Well, hold on a second. Somebody just heard something, acknowledge that they heard what they heard. Mm-hmm. Then you can work through uh, the intent of your heart, et cetera. But that person heard something and you got to deal with that first. And, wow. um, and I think that's uh, without, without a humble posture, willing to learn it, um Maybe maybe I'd flip that question and say to somebody who's like, I'm ready to go. I'd say, hey, you, you might want to ask some questions of yourself wow. first. Wow. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Um, like, go call Forerunner and 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 find out if you're ready. Uh, and to somebody who's like, I can't do this. I'm not ready. Call Forerunner and sign up because because you probably are. Uh, it doesn't mean that you have all the skills. It doesn't mean you're going to do it perfectly. It just means that your heart's ready. Mm-hmm. That's so, good. That's really good. Well, so like. So the job of the enemy, right, who is alive and well, mm-hmm. especially um, whenever it comes to uh, just the types of kids that we deal with, right? Like the enemy wants to disunify. The enemy wants to confuse. The enemy wants to pit us versus them, right? The enemy wants to create an environment that is just offense is so quick to happen. Um, and especially as, you know, our city specifically, man, it it is so segregated in regards to just one type of person lives over here. The other type of person is over here. What are some things that you commonly see that the enemy wants to use to help us believe the worst, specifically talking about poverty, talking about race and talking about, um, just totally different experiences. It's a good question. Um, 
how does the, how does the enemy uh, get us to believe the worst? Yeah. I, one thing this is the, the first thing that comes to my mind is is I think that there's this belief in our culture today that um, that in order to be unified, we all have to believe, act, etc. the same. And the truth of it is that's called uniformity. And so in order to be unified, we actually need differences. I think the enemy has us way confused. And, and, so, and so we end up uh, in the name of unity seeking uniformity. Sure. Which then, and then we get frustrated and then it's like, hey, why are you trying to change me? Why, like, why do I have to do things your way? Mm. Why can't we do things my way? And you flip the whole thing on its head or actually just like there's a third way, right? And I would say it's a, it's a kingdom way where God's principles and God's ways become, you know, the best way. Yeah. Uh, which, which because he's uh, brilliant and wise, his ways allow for, for nuance and, and different expressions and which, you know, can be socioeconomic. They can be ethnic. They can be education. They can be. I mean, they can be spiritual gifts. Like, down, go down the list. Like, we have nuance in the midst of all that. And so, I think the biggest thing that I see is just this belief that, like, we've got to we've got to be the same. Like, you either need to become like me, or I have to become like you in order for us to, mm-hmm. um, be be connected and unified. And the yeah. truth is, is like we actually just need to stay the way God made us, and then seek to understand one another and then step in together. So that's the biggest lie that I see is is just this this deeper root issue that the devil has twisted this, this idea in my, in my opinion. Yeah. That's how I see it. I mean, I think other ways that he gets us to believe the worst is, is to not think critically. And what I mean by that is, is not to be critical of others, but, but to think, uh, to, to, to think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when the news projects a story that there's a shooting in an apartment complex and we immediately say that's an unsafe place, where dangerous people live and bad things happen. Have I ever been there? Do I know anyone who lives there? The answer is no. And that's a really bad conclusion. Yeah. I understand why we make it. We're trying to quickly place things in our mind. Like there's all kinds of science behind why we do that. Um, But like, we've got to ask that question. I mean, I, you know, I just, when you think about like divides in the church, I think about this often. You've, You've got, you know, churches, one church saying that negative things about another church or, and it's, it's, un, it's under the table. It's quiet. We do it. We, we, we don't project it. But like the question I've started to ask really of my own self, when I do that also, I'll just, we'll keep it on me. When I think negative thoughts about other churches, I'll think, do I know the pastor there? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do I know people who go there? And the answer is no. I'm like, I got to put that thing away and I better go do some investigating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Now how that shapes out my response is going to change. It's either going to, it's going to change in some way. And so I think that's another thing that the enemy does is that he, we're lazy. Hmm. I'm, I'm not going to look into this. I'm not going to seek to understand. I'm not going to ask questions. Yeah. So there's, there's two. I, I like how what we're talking about now connects with the the first thing we talked about, which was, I have something I want to offer, but I'm not seeking out the needs of the people I'm trying to serve. Mm-hmm. And, and that ultimately when you, um, when you come to this place of 
bringing your assumptions into what unity looks like that ultimately we are trying to assimilate people into the way that we do life and thinking that this is success is your life looking like mine. Yep. You singing my songs, you not raising your hands and jumping while we worship you fill in the blank like, and, and how, yeah, the beautiful thing about God's plan is bringing all of these different people, backgrounds, experiences, ethnicities, ways of doing life, and he's honoring it. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, I want to personally honor every single contribution and every yep. single experience. And I think yep. that's a really beautiful thing. One thing that I hear so often from people who are hesitant about mentoring is <laughs> I just, I'm so different and I don't have anything to offer this kid. I don't have anything to bring to the table. And everything that I hear us talking about today is actually, no, no, no. That's actually not true. You as your own unique self with your own story, with your own background, with your own way of doing life, like that is what qualifies you to mentor. One of our most successful pairs is this guy named Bill and Bill's in his fifties and he's from, uh, he's from, I think he's from Alabama. He's like a six foot five bald white man who doesn't have anything in common with the kid that he mentors. Uh, the kid who he mentors, he's from Africa and he's 13 and they don't have anything in common, but Bill listens to Abrima and Bill enters into his world by asking questions. He doesn't force him to just become something that he's not and he doesn't try to fix him. And whenever I put the two together, I was terrified because I'm like, man, Lord, like You've got to step in here, Lord, because this doesn't look like it's going to work out. But it did because Bill listened. Yeah. Because Bill asked questions because he was humble and selfless and because he wanted to become the expert on a Brima. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's all it takes, man. Know this, my beloved brothers, let us be quick to listen, right? Slow to speak. Um, and there's just so much power in that. You know, something that I, I, both of you have shared. And even with that story, because this affirms it, um, when I think about, if I had to wrap that, kind of that up into a thought, I'd, I'd say like everybody has something to offer. Yeah. And you asked earlier about believing the worst. I think another lie that the enemy plants is that I have something to offer to everyone else who doesn't have anything to offer back. Yeah. We would never verbalize it like that. And if we do soul searching, we may not even be able to get to that point. But I think if I could really spend time, like there are moments where I think like I've got the answer and the rest of you don't. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the truth of it is, is that in the kingdom, like it, it talks about in scripture that, you know, he, he gives gifts to, to each of us. Like right. Every, everybody has, has been given something. And so the, the kingdom principle is that everybody has something to offer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and if I believe that, that that's not true and I don't do the soul searching in my heart to confront the, the, the untruth that other people don't have things to offer. Then I will enter into spaces with that unwillingness to listen, to understand, to Mm -hmm. ask questions and the wrong role of I'm here to save the day uh, versus, Hey, I'm here. I'm here, you know, from a place of obedience and I'm here to learn from you and to walk alongside together. 
because we're both trying to get to the same place. Right. So I think that's a, that's a, it's just essential what you guys are saying to, um, to believing that people have something to offer. Mm-hmm. When it comes to when, when you experience a crisis or a traumatic event, something goes down at the apartment complex you're serving. I, I wanted to hear what it looks like for your organization to engage mm. all of those things. So I, I wondered if you could share a little bit about how, how you guys have grown in engaging in empathy of the communities that you serve. Yeah. I mean, we just did this uh, like a month ago with the little nine-year-old girl who was shot and killed um, in, in a community here in Dallas. And um, it, it doesn't, the sting is real every time. Um, I think because we are in communities and we're there all the time and we have deep relationships and deep roots in many ways, we just respond as part of the community. Um, and so for us, I guess, practically speaking, I mean, we want to, we want to be present with people and wrap our arms around people and have them wrap their arms around us. I mean, that's like, we do that immediately. I think something that, that we has become very important to us is to control the narrative. The narrative that typically goes out in the situations is dangerous environment, bad people, bad things. And that's just not true. If, if there's a shooting in Plano, Highland Park, uptown, go, go find an affluent community. It would be isolated to the individual. But when you go into neighborhoods that have many of the barriers that we, we talked about earlier uh, that, that come with poverty. For whatever reason, uh, we make that incident a definition of the entire community. Yeah, that's convicting. And so for us, one of the most practical things we do with the shooting is to confront that narrative and to control it and to say, if you know the news screws come, great. Uh, Kia on our team, her title's actually director of changing the narrative. Wow. Um, and she has a, a number of responsibilities. She's kind of a through line through the whole organization. How, how do we confront the narrative in, in the minds of our donors, the minds of our partners, the public at large, the organization, our staff, and then ultimately even the kids and the families that we're working with. Like We're confronting the narrative in all of those minds. And Kia really oversees that. So she would be the one who would speak to the news, and that would be obviously a public-facing one. But if we don't confront it, then people watch the story and they're like, oh, that's a bad community. It's dangerous. Mm. It's not. It's a wonderful community where people uh, want to live in, in a safe environment and raise their kids to, to grow up and thrive. That's what they want. That's what yeah. everybody wants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I don't know. I, I'm, I could camp there for a while. I think it's really, really, really important uh, because that narrative that goes through affects everybody I named earlier down to the person living in that community who then takes on that. People who work in that community, the public at large, people who who are in philanthropy, like we all take on that idea, and so right. yeah, uh, that's a big one. But but you know, aside from that, I mean, it's just wrapping our arms around people and having them wrap their arms around us, and and so you do the same thing you would do for your own family. So we have you know you have a you have a a gathering and you and you grieve together, you you eat together, you remember together, and those are the things that we um, that we have done. 
want to I want to be family and I want to do family and do exactly what I would do because that's who we are yeah. in this in this moment. As ministry leaders, leading organizations, there there's a lot of opportunity to miss it, but to recorrect mm-hmm. and to learn from your mistakes. And so, could you share anything with our mentors that would be helpful for them to learn from your mistakes so they wouldn't make? I think one mistake that gets made often is just this belief that I have something to offer and you don't. Um, and it, it shapes how I, how I treat you. And so, um, just learning from, from that place of failure in my own life, uh, when you're in a relationship where somebody has, and I have to remember this, but somebody has agreed to let you speak into their life, Mm. uh, which is, that's a privilege. Um, yeah. That, when when we fail by believing things that are not true about others, own it. Mm. It like if it's about relationships, which Zach, you said that earlier, and I agree with you, then honor the fact that this is a relationship and treat it with the same respect and honor that you would treat any other relationship. Yeah. That's really good. Which is to say, hey, I I messed up. You know what? Mm-hmm. I I've been thinking this and you probably felt it. And uh, I'm sorry. And that's hard to do. It's hard. I, I struggle doing it with my own kids, with my own wife. Every, I think it'd be safe to say that most people in the world uh, struggle to say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? For X, Y, Z. I also think it's one of the things that leads to breakthrough in relationships. Right. Uh, I think about a woman on our team who she and I are, are very good friends. And this was about six years ago, and I, I said something to her that was deeply offensive to her, and was not the intent of my heart, but it was deeply offensive to her. And uh, so she just said, "Hey, I'm deeply offended." And we went to lunch, and we began to talk through it. And I, I, I remember making this conscious decision to just own it mm. and not explain mm. it, and um, it shaped our relationship. Uh, and it and it has led to so many moments of breakthrough in my own heart of confronting the mess inside me. And I think if if she was sitting here, she would say, "Yeah, I've had to do the same thing with in my own heart." Uh, and I so I feel like we both ended up, you know, there's this relationship. We, we've both mentored each other. And, and and to be fair, we're peers. We're not. It's not a like adult child relationship. Um, although I think adult child relationships you can mentor each other in that too. But um, yeah, that that's. I think that's a big thing for me in a place where I failed and then just said, you know what, I'm just going to, I got to own this thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a great point that intention is different than the impact Mm -hmm. of the things that we say. That's right. And so acknowledging that is, I mean, what you said, owning it is a hard thing to do, but are we willing to not just justify what (laughs) we said because of our intent? Mm. Are we willing to, seek forgiveness for the impact that our words had or our actions had, I think is huge. That's right. And I mean, for those of you guys out there who are married, like you love your spouse so much, but there might not be anyone on the face of the planet that you have more conflict with, (laughs) (laughs) but that's how it works. It's like the deeper you go into relationship, the more conflict you're going to have, but what an awesome invitation to become more like Jesus, right? And what an awesome 
opportunity to learn how to forgive and to learn how to own your stuff and to learn how to listen and to learn how to see other perspectives. Saying, I'm sorry, will you forgive me, is totally different than I'm sorry, but. I'm sorry, but you shouldn't have spoken to me like that. I'm sorry, but you should have been more respectful. I'm sorry, but you should have showed up on time like you said you were going to. And then I wouldn't have had to yell at you, right? Yeah. But like, but man, like, well, I, I think one thing that I have found true whenever I spend time with the kids who are a part of our program is when you humble yourself and apologize, truly apologize, mm-hmm. breakthrough happens. Yes. Mm-hmm. The Lord loves that because the Lord loves humility more than almost anything else. Because you're saying, man, I have screwed up and I'm going low and I'm going to ask you to forgive my actions. Mm-hmm. There's power in that, man. There's so much yeah. power. This is just hit, while you guys were talking, this just hit me. This this phrase. See if I can even get it out because it's a bit of a processing out loud. But that I've got to be willing to own my impact regardless of my intent. And I've got to be willing to pursue your intent regardless of your impact. That's good. And I've got wow. to believe and hope that you'll do the same for me. Yeah. Right. And when we, and when we do that for one another, then when I own my impact, you will have pursued my intent. Mm-hmm. My fear is that you won't. Mm-hmm. Right? right. And even if you don't in faith, I've got to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to do my part. And then the reverse is true too. And so, um, if we, if, if we want, if we want anybody else to live that way, we've got to do it first. Yeah. Um, and it's only through an intimate place with Jesus that I can do that. It's the only place I get the strength to step through in faith in those moments and, and say, nope, I'm owning my impact. You can have my intent. Yeah. Um, and I am going to ask questions and seek to understand your intent in spite of, regardless of your impact. The Holy Spirit does that. He, he empowers us to do that. And yeah, I think that's how, that's how I want to live. That if I had to define believe the best, that's how I'd define it. So it's really good. Wow. It's great. Thank you, Will, for being on the podcast. Yeah, for real. Thank you. So honored to get to hang out with y'all. Thanks for listening to the You Can Mentor podcast. So great getting to hear from Will Dow uh, from behind every door. Please check our show notes to see how you can connect more with their organization and what they're doing in Dallas. Um, Their vision is to see the fullness of the kingdom of God transform lives in underserved communities and neighborhoods. So would highly recommend you check them out. Um, If there's anything that was interesting in this podcast that you want to steal from us, please do. We would love if you (laughs) tagged us, but, um, but just steal it. That's great. Uh, We understand your intent. We don't Not have the impact of your yet. actions. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, if, if you're, uh, I mean, if you didn't pick up anything from this podcast, just let it be this. You can mentor. You can mentor.